From the Three Story Method Podcast Network. This is the Serial Fiction Show. I'm Christine Daigle. And I'm J.P. Reinbush. Welcome to the Writer's Serial Fiction Show. Hey, writer friends. A quick announcement before we get started. JP and I will be speaking at the Career Author Summit in Nashville, Tennessee, September 18th and 19th. Tickets are still available. If you want to hear from the best in the business, why not join us for knowledge sharing, networking, and community? Or if you can't make it to Nashville, there's a virtual option as well. The last day to buy tickets is August 15th. The link to the conference is in the show notes. We'd love to see you there. This is a companion podcast to the Reader Serial Fiction Show. If you haven't listened to today's story, we'd encourage you to pause and go listen to Hugh Howey's episode on our companion podcast first. We can only play half the episode, so if you'd like what you hear, check out the full episode free on Vela. The link to the podcast and the Vela episode are in the show notes. So, Christine, how has your week been? It's been pretty good. I think as we are recording this, we're about two plus weeks into the Vela uh, release. So, you know, it's been interesting to see how things are going. I'm still continuing to release them on my plan schedule every Tuesday and Saturday. And the reads kind of come in uh, ebbs and flows. So sometimes you're like, oh, nobody's reading. And then you'll get this big burst. So, you know, things seem to be steady. I'm not worrying too much about it. Uh, Just waiting to see how it will go organically and continuing to write. Because I think that's really, you know, the best thing that we can do is just keep on writing. So how about you? What you've been up to this week? So much fun. Um, So this is going to be joining the feed a little bit differently because we have a few episodes that we've recorded. And so this will kind of show up earlier because this is our special episode. Um, So as we are recording, I have just come back from week one of uh, the day job. which has been a, an experience. Uh, I've done it before, but it's just always an experience to be out of my house because I'm a hobgoblin that lives in my attic. Um, but no, serial-wise, uh, uh, my co-host and I, we are going through, we've drafted the first eight episodes and I've gone through and edited most of them. I think I'm on the last one for editing. And we're just having fun. So I, I think it's not something that's at the main premise of us like racing to to release them we want to make sure that they're they're quality content um so we're we're just going along at a pace you know yeah and then i have another little um vela project that i've been noodling with i'm going to use that word because why not um that I found a um, epic fantasy that I had written a long time ago. And it's a story world that I like absolutely love that I created. And maybe that's a little narcissistic, but whatever. I really enjoy it. Uh, And so I really want to uh, kind of share it in a fun way. And so I have been taking what was already written and I'm revamping it for Vela. And that's been fun too. So. And we, I don't know when I'm going to release any of it, but yeah, hey, and we discussed it a bit. So I'm I'm looking forward to uh, seeing that serial as well. And I think that's just the best attitude to have with Vela. You know, it's a new new adventure, new experience. I think if you go in, you know, not really expecting too much, 
then you're maybe you'll be pleasantly surprised. So we'll just keep going yeah. forward on this adventure. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Well, let's talk to our author. Yeah, let's do the thing. With us today is Hugh Howie. We'll be discussing their serial, Death and Life, a biography. All right. So with this uh, Vela piece, your hook was excellent. The line, I died once before I was born. Uh, just, oh, why not? You know, just a great way to hook people in. Um, and I just, I kept seeing this consistent theme. And, and you even stated at one point with the why am I? So I'm just really curious when you approach writing, especially a memoir piece, do you approach it with the concepts of like theme or, or armature is a, another word for it um, when you craft these scenes? Yeah, I try to. I don't. This is a little intuitive, and it comes from I think years of uh, writing blog posts, which kind of have an essay format. Like you really want to have a a, um, a premise really early on, and then make sure that your end it goes back to what where you started. And I found I found that I was a, a heavy blogger before I wrote my first book, and I found that pattern really useful. Um, and it got to where I could kind of write a blog post without editing it. Um, and it was ready to go. Like I could, before I started, I had the whole uh, structure in mind. And when I started uh, writing novels, each chapter felt like self-contained in that way. So I, I think I, I wish I could teach the craft of that, but I think it comes from a lot of absorption and a lot of um, practice. Um, but yeah, it's something I, I, uh, Feel like I've gotten good at over the years, especially um, so starting with a, a bang and ending with a hook. Uh, and you can kind of reverse those terms; it works either way. But I really want to end a chapter in a way that you're satisfied. The chapter didn't disappoint, but you can't not turn and start reading the next chapter. And uh, I think maybe growing up on comic books really helped with that because you had to, yeah, each arc is a small little puddle jump. And then there's this big umbrella un uh, that arches over top of all these little uh, jumps. And you want to tell a, a big story by laying down some progress along the main arc. But, the, but meanwhile, every little chapter has got to be its own self-contained story as well. Yeah. Comic books are great for that overarching structure with the little episodes in it. So, And I did see how you brought the the uh, theme of being born and almost dying back again in the last episode. So you loop that around. And I saw a theme that was tied into that hook about how brushes with death or suffering make you appreciate life or the joys of life or put another way, uh, what sustains you can also kill you. I think at one point in one episode, you stated, uh, don't die when you can choose to live instead. And that was pretty much present thematically throughout the whole book. So that really... Uh, resonated with me so you couldn't really get away from the theme and I appreciated that and I could see the the fiction skills in there as well because you start with a, a mini anecdote about the birth that was almost like a fictional scene so where the you know your mom is the protagonist she wants to give birth but kind of needs to accept that things aren't aren't going right uh and then she's I guess the antagonist would be the umbilical cord, right? In, yeah, <laughs> in for this sure. Instance. And she has to make this tough decision. Do I keep trying this or do I let uh, the doctor use the forceps and maybe do more damage? And so that's 
that's a huge conflict and choice the way that we would use it in fiction and she makes the choice and the consequences that you were born so hooray for that uh, and I really did think that the nonlinear structure worked really well so uh, it was almost like a fiction piece crafting it in a way that made sense more than than being linear so I don't know if there's any more that you wanted to share with us about how you structured things that way in a nonlinear way or what the thought process was going through that. Yeah, I, I think, you know, readers and this goes for cinema and TV as well. I think they're more um, flexible than we give them credit for. And I think it's, I mean, it's a fine line. I, I, I wouldn't tell most writers to take a, to be avant-garde and, and play with structure willy-nilly and just see what they can get away with. But I, I will say that like if a story, especially like you're writing a fantasy novel, and if it makes sense to have a flashback to um, an origin of one character or, or a previous um, uh, battle, let's say, that someone's father fought in, um, there's a way to change the voice and have this self-contained chapter that makes sense. And I think taking those risks sometimes really pays off for readers. Um, and, you know, I've done that in some of my books, like uh, I wrote this book, Wool, which with those huge demand for a sequel. And I, I didn't want it to feel like, like uh, a George R. R. Martin thing where um, that book didn't really end. It's just the start of this long thing that's going to go on forever. And so when I wrote the second one, it, it went back and told like, the origin story of, a, of the apocalypse, which is almost never done. Most apocalypses like The Road and um, Station Eleven, great books, uh, Dog Stars, all these amazing books. Um, we don't go back and see how it happened. Frankly, it probably will be boring if you do that. So it's a huge risk, but I, I, I did it deliberately to let Wool stand on its own where you don't have to read the whole series. You can just read one book. And um, I think taking making choices like that for the craft rather than just like what makes the most money? How do I sell the most copies? Uh, anytime I've made an artistic decision, it's always been the right decision in the long run. It feels seems to me. So with that, what does that process look like when you go about devising these stories? Do you outline them completely so that you kind of have these endpoints or, or what does that process look like for you? Yeah, I do. I do a lot of outlining. I mostly do a lot of daydreaming about my stories before I start writing them. Uh, and that happens even while I'm writing previous books. So if I have a, a, a book that I'm actually working on, I'm daydreaming about it, but I'm also living in a couple of other worlds that by the time I sit down to write them, I may have spent five or six years kind of living in them and getting to know them really well. So you published the first three chapters of Wool on your blog in 2011. So now 10 years later, Bella's sort of like returning full circle. So back then you talked about uh, enjoying the challenge of developing characters in this frame of this constrained word count and feeling rewarded by a piece of fiction that readers can digest in a sitting. Is the Bella experience like when you first put Wool out into the world or are you finding some differences? It's very similar. It's even... It's even more immediate. I almost compare it to the writing I did for my blog even more than the um, the serialized pieces of wool as they came out because uh, it's um, it's so immediate. You know, with with pub, there's a delay in publishing to uh, KDP and and these other uh, platforms, but with Vala, it's like publish and people reading on their cell phone uh, within hours. So. 
Um, the only thing similar to that for me has been my blog, which is where I've, I've sampled and tested some other works. iZombie is a book that wouldn't exist were not for like writing some funny chapters on my blog that I didn't like literary zombie fiction from the perspective of the zombie. And I thought there's no market for this. I put it on my blog. People responded uh, positively to it. And I was like, okay, a book's going to get born out of this. So that was a very Vela-esque experience. And out of curiosity for other Vela writers, you've mentioned that you've gotten some feedback from this. What is the primary venue of feedback that you've gotten? Has it been through email or through media, social media? And have you garnered that conversation or has it just come naturally? I haven't done really any, I, I probably should be promoting this more. I've been on the road. Uh, I was uh, traveling when Vela launched and I just found out things went live because someone shared it to me on social media. So I, uh, I've shared a link like on Twitter and on Facebook, but I've done almost no promotion. I haven't even blogged about it um because uh frankly i've been living out of a suitcase for for the last few weeks um but everything i've heard is coming from emails and from tweets and facebook um which goes back to like the very first time that i published that's how people were were reaching out to me and um i wish i'm sure amazon's working on this but it'd be nice if they figured out a way to get the feedback going two ways within the vela platform i know some of the other um uh serialized online um, publishing platforms have got that kind of two-way line of communication. And I think that'll take the Vela um, uh, program to the next level when they figure that out. Yeah, hard to agree. I was really surprised they didn't have a comment feature on this so that there could be back and forth communication, but maybe that's uh, something to come in the future as it's still in beta. How did you first hear about Vela and why did you decide to give it a try? I think uh, maybe every author who's on KDP got an email about it. So uh, I don't see every one of those emails, but either either that would come my eye or someone was uh, sharing it on one of the writer's forums and I went and found the email. And uh, yeah, it, it appealed to me immediately because just because of my publishing history. Like I have um, published a couple of books uh, this way. And uh, yeah, as soon as I heard about it, I, I always want to experiment with things too. Like, I think it's fun to be on the ground floor of something. And uh, if it pans out fun, if it doesn't pan out, then no big deal. The great thing about self-publishing is that you're not giving your rights away to anybody. So nothing is, it's not like getting a tattoo. Uh, it's more like trying on a, a new pair of pants. And if, you, if they don't fit, you uh, go shop for a new pair of pants. So you have called publishing wool on your blog film adapted to books rather than the other way around. Uh, I'm curious, is this something that you approach with writing pretty much everything that you have? You'd mentioned earlier that you have this sort of memory that's very highly visualized and you use that in crafting this memoir. But I'm just curious how you approach writing novels in general and then if this is any different writing serials versus novels. I think the approach is the same with serials and novels. Um, uh, for I think what really unlocked my writing for me was uh, the first time I started writing, trying to write a book, I felt like I was the author of this um, story that was happening at a distance that I was over top of, that I was watching like a, a third person video game. And I was describing what people were doing. Like they were moving a chess pieces, moving around a chess set. And sometimes when I'm reading, uh, doing, you know, editing other people's stories and putting anthologies together, I feel that same sort of distance. 
between the author and the subject of the story. And it, it wasn't until I learned to tell the story through the eyes of the characters and zoom in, get down on the ground level, start playing like a first person shooter rather than a third person like tactical game that I realized, um, you know, you can, then you can start to feel what the character's feeling. You smell what they're smelling. You, the, the, the weather becomes real. The, the temperature of the room um, makes itself known. And um, yeah, you start seeing, you, you write in a cinematic way that, um, uh, you know, earlier I said, uh, or in, in a separate interview, I said that I don't write thinking about adaptation, but I do write as if I am watching a movie, actually more accurate, I'm writing as if I've seen a movie 20 times and I know every line by heart and I, I know this movie so well and you've never seen it and I'm going to describe it to you using as, you know, as detailed an account as I can give you. And um, th that's my advice to aspiring writers is like, write this like you are living it and like you're seeing it on the big screen and translate that experience to the page. Uh, and I, it's worked for me, and I think it's it, there's some value to that for, for any fiction writer. Absolutely. Um, I have a couple of listener questions I wanted to get to. What's one thing you wish indie authors were doing more of? Uh, wow. I mean, indie authors are seems like they're doing everything under the sun. I can't, ima can't imagine them uh, doing more than they already are. Um, you know, indie authors are already experimenting their... Uh, supporting each other, they're working together, they're sharing information as they learn it. Um, I think the maybe the number one thing that I see that indie authors could do even more of is the the next level of polish that is really hard to put on when you know you're just a click away from sharing your story with the readers. Um, most readers, I would say like 70% of my readers, will forgive, uh, you know, a typo, a page, some mistakes here and there, uh, cover art that's not that great. The other 30% um, will not have the, as good of an experience. Uh, and those are the ones you end up hearing from. And I think uh, doing a competition that I'm working on right now, we've got 300 books that we're judging. Uh, I'm not judging myself, just help to organize it. Um, when I see the cover art, uh, some of it would be better if it was just like a solid color with really good big block typography, just the name of the book and the author. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there are times when doing a little bit poorly is worse than not doing anything at all. And I think, so I think the number one thing indie authors could do is learn from uh, looking at books on bookshelves, like, how it's mostly the text, it's not the art. Uh, don't, I'm, I'm not even telling people to go spend money. I'm saying save your money. Don't go spend money on someone to do, uh, you know, a fantasy art rendition when, you know, some of the best-selling fantasy books out there are mostly the author's name and the title of the book. Um, uh, I think th what the, the joy of... Uh, self-publishing these days is your books can blend in and be indistinguishable from books published any other way. And that, that should be our goal so that no one, uh, there, there can't be any stigma because no one knows or cares where a book came from.
Absolutely. Uh, another listener question we've got is, what is the venue of storytelling that you are most excited about? It could be media, platform, types of stories. Basically, I'm just curious what what you're excited about. Uh, I think the I think the next big realm for telling immersive stories is, um, uh, and it's already happening to a big degree in the last two or three years, it's changed a lot is video games. Um, and, and being able to uh, not just tell, uh, have, a, have a believable world that people tell their own story in, but The Last of Us Part Two blew me away with the quality of the, of the fiction and story and the plot twist and the characters that were created. Um, it, is, it was as good as almost any book I've read in the last few years. Uh, it's the one video game that my girlfriend, who when she sees me playing video games, she's like, I'm, I'm leaving the room. She saw me playing that game and she was like, okay, who's that again? And what's happening? And oh my God, are you? And then, you know, getting scared of bad things were happening. Um, I, I was totally sucked into that uh, game. And I, I just see the potential there for um, making us have the same emotional uh, connections and responses to, um, you know, pixels on our TV that we have to favorite characters and books. And I think, you know, we have to open our mind to these, uh, to VR to um, mixed media, uh, to serialized audio, to every single way uh, we can tell these stories. Um, uh, it all started with just people uh, sharing, you know, spooky stories around a campfire and it's grown through opera and Broadway and uh, all these amazing medium sense. So uh, yeah, for me, it's like, what's around the corner and the next thing? That's what's exciting to me. Yeah, excellent. There's definitely fantastic storytelling in uh, video games. Uh, one more listener question. What do you think authors worry too much about that they shouldn't? Oh, marketing, 100%. Uh, everyone's trying to figure out how to sell the last book, and the best thing they could do is just start working on the, the next one. Um, I, I don't think I wouldn't even worry about marketing until, um, you know, you had five or six novels or 20 short stories or um, you know, 10 novellas or something out there. Um, it's uh, most of the time you spend marketing is better spent uh, writing another work. As, as soon as something takes off, like if you write one book and spend all your time marketing it, then you only have one book to sell. And let's say it does take off. Um, well, now you've got the pressure of writing while you're busy uh, dealing with your success. So uh, you're, you're much better off if, if it's your 10th book that becomes a breakout hit than if it's your first one. Um, and we see that over and over again with so many different authors over the years. I mean, we're lucky that George Martin had as many books already written as he did before uh, the success uh, took over his life because uh, I think writing in obscurity is a gift and re too many writers kind of complain about um, not having fandom immediately as soon as they start publishing. And I don't think they realize how lucky they are to have uh, five or six years to you know, just concentrate on their craft and not be distracted by um, uh, all the things that come with sales and marketing and uh, reader interaction and everything else. Like enjoy, enjoy those writing years as much as you can. Agreed. Um, so I have a question for you. We had mentioned, or I guess you had mentioned in the readers portion about two aspects of your life that you incorporate into all of your uh, storytelling. And then you also 
mention it directly in this Vela piece. I'm curious, when you approach writing trauma um, consciously, when you're making the conscious decision to approach those scenes, how do you prepare yourself in writing those scenes? It's a great question. Uh, it, it helps it helps me to write them in the morning and you know alone and kind of still in a I feel like when we wake up, we're, we're, we haven't quite zipped up our, uh, our armor yet. And we are kind of in a fuzzy, more um, impressionable state. And uh, I find it useful to not only be creative in, in, the, in those hours, but also to um, uh, reveal more of myself than I would if I were to write like later in the day or with people around or with distractions. So um, most of the stuff I've written like that's been, you know, writing at five, six o'clock in the morning when um, solitude makes you feel safer, you know, when you're uh, sharing deep stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been kind of my secret to tapping into that. One final question. What would you tell someone who is looking to start their own serial? Um, my Biggest advice would be, well, uh, I can't give just one. I mean, one is to go out and read some, some good serialized fiction just to know what's expected and, and, and how the best stuff works. Go read um, an excellent uh, serialized graphic novel like uh, Why the Last Man um, and just see how comics deal with telling a big story through a lot of small stories. Uh, but beyond that, know your world and your, your character and ask yourself so many questions about each character. Um, I think the biggest mistake that new writers make is their characters are these blank canvases. Um, so, you know, they're probably going to fall in love at some point in the story. And it's the first time they've ever fallen in love. They're going to acquire some things along their journey. And it's the first things they ever acquire. Um, you're, when we meet your character, there should already be things in their pockets and you should know where they came from. There should be scars on their bodies and you know, you should know how they got them. Uh, they should, their hearts should already have already been broken. Uh, that doesn't mean that you, the, the heartbreak that you have planned for your story isn't real. As a matter of fact, it's often, um, more poignant when you realize, okay, this, this character with this broken heart realizes that that wasn't heartbreak before this is heartbreak, which is an experience I think a lot of us have had where, okay, you thought you were in love before, but this is what love feels like. Um, I think we get caught in the trap as writers, this the newness trap, thinking that we have everything has to be the first time and the new thing for the character. But when it's the third or fourth time and it feels new, that's, um, that's life, you know? That's, that's really uh, getting, you don't know the first time you fall in love, like to, what to compare it to and if this is, um, uh, how magical this really is. So, I, part of knowing your world is coming up with all this backstory that you do not tell. You don't have to touch on any of it, but you have to know it. And uh, uh, you don't even have to write it down if you have a pretty good mind for that stuff. You just have to think about your characters enough to, uh, you know, if someone were to ask them what their favorite meal is, they would, you'd have an answer to that. Um, and I think only when you have that kind of overall sense of uh, who your characters are, the world they live in, the where the story is going to end up, have an idea of what the top of the mountain looks like, uh, the last scene or the, the big triumph that they're heading toward, uh, then you can start plotting your way towards that, uh, that eventual uh, outcome.
Fantastic advice. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. We had a blast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Our thanks today to Hugh Howey for letting us break down their episode. Finally, we want to thank you for listening to the Writer Serial Fiction Show. If you know someone who might enjoy the show, send them your favorite episode link. And if you want to leave an Apple podcast review, reread all of them and use your suggestions. Also, check out SerialFictionShow.com if you want to leave a comment on the episode. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks, and we'll see you next time with another Serial Fiction episode. And, and that's, that's a wrap! You know what my favorite part about the Hugh Howie biography was, and this is going to sound really stupid. There's this one part where he's talking about when he gets his first like real boat and he sails, I think it's like from Maine to Florida or something down the coast and picks up this like mystical parking lot cat and just has like this mystical sailing cat on his boat with them that leaves him in Florida. <laughs> I want a mystical sailing cat. He 100% had a familiar for like, a couple of weeks or a, a guide. Okay. That's amazing. I know, right? I cannot imagine my cat doing that. She would just be like. I can't see dick. Yeah. Well, my cat actually, she's usually pretty good, but she gets feisty. Like, yeah. Yeah. I probably would lose body parts on that journey from her. (laughs) Did you watch Dirk Gently's Holistic uh, Detective Agency on Netflix? No. Okay, so there's this cat that has like the soul of a shark in it. And every once in a while, the shark will just come out and like do these. Anyway, it probably is better visually than an explanation, but I'm like, my cat definitely has the soul of a shark. Cause Wait, what is that? What is that? What is this? What? Tell me so, more about this show. Dirk Gently, it was written by um, Douglas Adams originally. It's a Douglas mm. Adams book, but it stars Elijah Wood and. It's the best. Every time you hear me say shut up math, that's where that comment comes from. Because his his sister Amanda is like, we're the rowdy three and the people that they're going to fight go, but there's two of you. And she goes, shut up math. It's like my favorite quote. That's fantastic. Okay. So I'm I'm starting to to peel the layers back. Yeah. I wish they had done more seasons.